our next guest has a lot to say. I had a lot to ask, actually. Um, financier, TV star that so many of us have watched over the years as others pitch their business ideas to her. Well, now she has a new venture of her own. Arlene Dickinson is merging her marketing and communications firm, Venture Play, with five other agencies to use that scale to establish international reach. It's a pretty interesting time to be doing it. It's called Believe Co. Partners. It will be headquartered in Calgary, have some 300 employees and seven offices across the continent. And it's going to focus on a lot of sectors, sectors that you may be familiar with uh, for Dickinson, which are like food and health, but also tech, government, financial services, and so on. So we thought we'd chat with one of Canada's best-known business people about why this and why now, but some other stuff too, challenges in the current economy if you're an entrepreneur, if you're looking to innovate, if you're looking to start out, uh, as well as building your business these days when the landscape seems to have changed so much and lots more. So joining me now from Los Angeles is Arlene Dickinson, co-managing partner and executive chair of the board of Believe Co. Partners, a venture capitalist, entrepreneur, of course, Dragon's Den star, you know and author of the bestsellers, Persuasion and All In. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but for listeners who may not be familiar with what this new venture is, what would be the pitch? What is what is the, uh, what, what's going on? The pitch is uh, being able to take the value that independent agencies offer their clients and scale it without losing that special relationship um, focused environment that is created with an independent shop. So what we wanted to do was make sure that we could scale to compete in, you know, with large pieces of business and to complete compete internationally, but without losing what makes independent shops, you know, special and unique. And so that's, that's the pitch. We, we are doing it differently. We're making sure that we're keeping, you know, the partners at the helm of the, of the agencies that are going to be part of the legal partners. And we're working really hard to hold on to the entrepreneurial spirit and the independent thinking that comes from what smaller shops can offer, but now we're doing it at scale. I know this has been such a huge part of your career. Um, this, this, what was it like to sort of um, make the decision to? I wouldn't say share it, but in some ways you're sharing it. Well, with Belico Partners, the decision was really about it was twofold. First, we had to say, you know, you know, had to be a decision to say if you're going to sell your agency into the future, if you want to leave a legacy with what you've built and you want to be able to compete into the future, then you have to think about, you know, who are you going to sell to and how is that transaction going to happen so that you're left with something that celebrates the legacy but thinks about the future. Right. And for, for us, it was, okay, if we're going to sell our shops, then how do we take some of the proceeds from that sale and roll it into a new entity that actually then takes advantage of the experience, the expertise, the depth and breadth of each of these individual shops who will join Belico Partners, and scale it. And and so it was it was actually easy to share because so many independent shops are struggling with exactly this, which is what does the future look like? How do you compete um, in a more effective and efficient way, but also how do you not lose sight of what brought you to the table in the first place? And that, that's the uh, that's always been the magical question, you know, for anybody who is an entrepreneur. Uh, how do you how do you go to the next level? How do you change and evolve? Yeah. How, how do you maintain the magic of what you have and then build on it as well by by growing it with other people who do the same thing in other markets, right? It's a really interesting way of approaching it. You talked about recessionary times being not a bad time to do this uh, because companies are looking for more of the kind of help that you and, and the other partners can deliver. Exactly. You know, listen, there's a lot of empirical data out there that tells us that the organizations who market during a recession, not only do better through the recession, but do much better 
right after the recession. And that's because even though the market is shifting and might be contracting, there still is a market there. And so the tendency, the the things that most businesses will do is say, you know, where we need to cut back is in our communications and marketing efforts. And that is actually the last place they should be cutting back. So it is a little bit counterintuitive because you think the market's shifting. So therefore you should not be as present, but that is when you actually should step it up. And so, you know, we see recessionary periods as the time for the uh, organizations who truly embrace marketing communications and who want to get into the market and be seen in the market at a time when others are, you know, coming out that as an opportunity, we see those businesses as definitely aligned with the kinds of work and businesses we want to be associated with. You know, I, I have so many things to ask you about, but that reminds me today that I was reading um, that Twitter's gotten rid of their communications department, which struck me as a ter- terrible idea. <laughs> what, what do you make of I mean, I really wanted to, because you know, what is going on? Because from an outsider who doesn't have a ton of business experience, it just looks like chaos. What do you see? Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> this is chaos. That's what I see. It's actually frightening to me um, then. And it's frightening as a, you know, marketing and communications specialist, as somebody who cares deeply about how messages are heard and consumed by various stakeholders in the marketplace. It's scary to think about the, really what I would say is a, a large playground being formed for racism and hatred. And so what we have to do is think about the what we want as a society to have, you know, and what free speech actually means when it comes to private companies and how this is going to be impacting people like you, journalists who are true journalists versus people who are spreading non-factual information and looking to um, create chaos and and distrust and dishonesty. So I'm quite concerned. And and those are all probably fairly brave words for me to say here in this platform, but I I am very concerned about it. I think everyone feels the same way. I, I, yeah, it, it is sort of territory that is sometimes uh, hard to walk on, but I feel like we all should be looking at it and thinking, or just trying to understand what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. You've spent a lot of time with, with, with CEOs and egos and so on. Is Do we put too much faith, and this is not just about Twitter, but in general terms, do we put too much faith in this whole notion of the, the all-powerful CEO who can fix everything and do anything? For sure. I mean, CEOs, uh, as a result of the pandemic and as a result of, you know, the whole shift in work habits and, and what's going on in our environment in general, we're seeing um, a different type of CEO having to emerge, one who is more empathetic, one who is more compassionate, one who is less um, stuck in the old ways of doing things, but, you know, still able to drive the business forward at the same time being accommodating of the varying needs of their employees and their teams. And this is this is a different type of leadership. You know, this is because we none of, none of us have done this before. None of us had to navigate a you know a pandemic before. None of us had to navigate the impact on what has happened with people's mental health and physical health and you know their home lives and you know and particularly with women. So we are all as I think as leaders emerging as a different type of leader um, if we want to be successful in our leadership. So yes, I, I think it's a different world. And if you're not changing, um, you're probably not going to be able to attract the type of worker that's out there right now that's looking for uh, an organization that has social cause at its base, that understands community, that understands giving back at the same time that it it allows its employees to be flexible and and participate in, in work in a way that not just suits the business, but also suits their life. 
Yeah, I can imagine it could be tough sometimes for those who think, well, this was my idea. I built this. Um, you know, this is going to be my way. And, and I don't want to hear about new ways or different ways or, you know, you see a lot of that. Ben, it's so true. Um, and, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. Listen, it, it is hard. You know, we were trained as leaders to believe that that is what you had to have the answers. You had to steer the ship. You had to be in control. Um it is very easy to get stuck in that this isn't the way we do things. This is the way we've always done it this way. Therefore, we have to do it that way into the future. And unfortunately, that's just not going to work. I mean, having said that, we have to respect what we've learned from the past, and we have to take some of those lessons forward with us. So it's a fine line. It's tough. It's tough to be a leader right now, but it's also tough to be anywhere in the workforce right now. Like, let's face it, we're all struggling with a very a level of, of uncertainty and a level of newness to what's happening, which is and just to bring it back to Belief Co partners, we, we really wanted to create an organization that had, you know, what doing what's right for the team at its heart. And, you know, it's easy to say that, but you know, we think about diversity and equality and inclusion. If you think about ESG, if you think about all of those things that are really important in society, you can't just talk about them. You have to implement processes and policies that support those things. And that's what we are going to try and strive our best to do. Thinking about all the people you've supported over the years uh, through Dragon's Day, but also just as a, as a venture capitalist, this must be tough times for some of the people that you have a lot of faith in just because the environment has shifted so much. Yes, it's a very difficult time for entrepreneurs and especially for early stage companies that are trying to, you know, just get their feet under them and get some wind at their, you know, at their backs. And what's happened is they're now facing headwinds instead and, and their, you know, capital is drying up. It's harder to get the type of exposure and, and distribution and support that you need in market. But if anything, you know, what we have to do in Canada in particular is figure out a way to support our entrepreneurs so that they can grow their businesses into the future. And that means supporting them financially from a policy perspective with the government, from a leadership perspective in terms of recognizing and, and ensuring that they're getting what they need in terms of having roadblocks taken out of their way for growth. So there's a lot to unpack there. But you know, again, back to Belief Co Partners, what we yeah. what we really believe in is helping entrepreneurial businesses, not just the big businesses. Of course, we want to work with large and all size organizations, but you know, at our heart, we're entrepreneurs, and so we understand better than anybody as independent shops coming together what it's like to run a business and how tough that is. And so, I think that viewpoint is really going to help us be able to help other organizations navigate the tough times ahead. Yeah, because when you look at, um, I mean, you've always been a big champion of innovation in this country. And uh, I think you, just by watching other interviews, sometimes you feel like you're a bit of a voice in the wilderness at times, uh, trying to say, listen, there's a lot of good ideas here. We just have to back them. How are we doing? Um, I'd give us a probably a, 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 a C plus if I'm going to be. <laughs> you know, frank about it. There's growth equity that's coming into play. There are more and more funds that are doing, you know, growth financing and growth equity and um, deals in the private equity side. You know, um, listen, CBGF invested in Belief Co Partners, which they're growth equity partners. They're fantastic partners. How fortunate are we to have that kind of support? When we think about where I give worse grades, it's to these early stage companies where my fund, District Ventures Capital, invests in these very early stage companies. And those companies really struggle. They struggle to get bank debt. They struggle to get equity financing. They struggle with a lot of effort. So we need more funds in Canada. We need more 
of a financial ecosystem to support growth across all levels of investment, whether that's angel investing, whether that's family and friend investing, whether that's venture capital investing, private equity investing, along the spectrum, we have to make sure that we are making capital more accessible. And um, this is, there, there's a whole, I mean, that's, that's a whole other half hour show, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting, though, because I, you, you mentioned it before, sometimes there's sort of a culture of quashing new ideas in, the, in this country that, that can be a bit unfortunate. I can imagine from where you sit, you see all these good ideas, you witness so many good ideas, some bad ones too over the years, um, that it must be, uh, I wouldn't say disappointing, but uh, maybe frustrating to see that that a lot of these a lot of really good ideas go by the wayside because there just isn't that kind of spirit here sometimes to embrace new things. I often say that if you walked past, you know, um, a significant entrepreneur, you know, whether it's there's tons I could name um, who have built, you know, hugely successful companies. Um, Tom Jenkins is an example, open text. I could walk past Tom Jenkins in the crowd and nobody would know who he was. Yep. Where if you go into, you know, probably the US as an example, anybody who's built large organizations is is usually elevated in some way to be recognizable to be because they've been kind of escalated in their in their passion and drive and vision. And when you do that, when you allow people to have big dreams and you actually say, hey, this is great. You have that big dream. We're behind you. We support you. We know who you are. We acknowledge you. When you do that, you end up with this this um, this elevation of risk. What we do in Canada is we actually tamp, tamp risk down. We, um, we, we don't want people to stand up and put their hand up and actually bravely say things because who do they think they are? And we're Canadian and we don't want to be too, you know, like heaven forbid, we, you know, we go out there and be too aggressive. Um, it's changing a bit, Ben, but ultimately we still continue to be a little bit too timid, a little bit too risk adverse because we've got a social network and, and infrastructure in Canada that allows us to live a, a really great life without having to take a lot of risk. And, and so we need to, we need to start elevating those risk takers, not to give them, you know, um, accolades, but to acknowledge the risk and support their efforts to continue to build, whether it's, you know, I mean, Nortel is a good example of where we didn't do that. You know, it's probably one of the best examples, as, as old as it is. So, Believe Co Partners, why do we care about that? Well, we care about that because we are taking risk. We are continuing to be entrepreneurial. And we would love the market to recognize that and support us in that effort. And so, when that happens, when you get that full circle of support, as well as the people willing to take the risk, that's when you build the unicorns. That's when you build great success. But it requires every aspect of support along the way in order for that to happen. Arlene Dickinson, thank you so much. Thanks, Ben.